And we've been suggesting that these practices, like any core Christian uh, discipline or practice, they have a purpose. There's a reason that we do them. And that reason, quite simply put, is formation. Formation into Christ-likeness. We want to grow more like Christ in every way as individuals and as the body of Christ seeking to reflect Jesus to the world around us. And so practices, they help us get there. That's why we do them. However, becoming more Christ-like is not just for our own edification. Right? Becoming like Christ isn't just for ourselves. We don't follow in Jesus' way simply for our own sakes. To be formed in Christ, to become like Jesus in every way, is inherently about other people. We are formed into Christ-likeness in order to be sent, as Jesus was into the world. As you have sent me into the world, Jesus prays to the Father, so I am sending them into the world, referring, of course, to his disciples. We receive the light of Christ, so that we might reflect that light back into the world. Do you remember the illustration Jesus used as he taught the crowds on the Sermon of the Mount? Something about a lamp. He says, no one after lighting a lamp places it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to the entire house. We are filled And we are guided by the Spirit so that our lives point to God and not to our own egos. Paul says we are like fragile clay jars or fragile clay vessels filled with a great treasure in his letter to the church in Corinth, suggesting that this is how we and others will know that our power is from God and not from ourselves. And finally, we experience the life-giving love of Christ so that it might flow from us into the lives of those around us. Jesus teaches this to his disciples, suggesting that the world will know his disciples by their love for one another, and he teaches this right after he has stooped down and done what? Washed their feet, right? So knowing the love and light of Christ and receiving the love and light of Christ and being formed in the love and light of Christ, isn't just for ourselves. This Christian faith, this walking in the way of Jesus, is a self-sacrificial way. We are formed so that we might become the hands and feet of Christ, the body, as it were, in the world. Or as my friend Katie says, who pastors over in Indianapolis, she says, we are formed to be salt, light, and leaven, wherever it is God is going to place us that day. So in other words, our formation is for a higher purpose. We are formed in order to be a vessel for God to use. We are formed, we might say, for mission. And that's where I want to focus our conversation today. I want to talk about God's mission as I've come to understand it. And I want you to know, I want you to hear that you have a part to play in helping God's mission be realized. We all do. You have a part to play. And I want to suggest that there's joy to be found in discovering what that is, regardless of where you are on your journey, regardless of what you're going through in your life today, there's joy to be found as we discover and discern, where is God calling me? How is God calling me to participate in his mission? 
So my hope this morning is that you'll hear uh, that call to join this mission, not as an obligation, but as a pathway into deeper, more purposeful, more joyful uh, life with Christ and in community. So God's mission, what is it? Giant question, giant question. Before I even attempt to bring some clarity to that big question, I want to share two truths, two foundational assumptions that I think are really critical to a conversation about God's mission, and here's what they are. Assumption number one, God is a creator. God is a creator. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, good, Meg, we know that. Great insight. Hang with me for a second. I think most of us do know that. If you've ever so much as cracked open your Bible to the very beginning, not a bad place to start, you will see, in fact, that God does what? God creates. This is how the narrative starts, right out of the, right out of jump, right from the beginning. And most of us know this. At the same time, I think we can sometimes forget this core part of God's nature. I know I do. It's almost so obvious we can overlook it. Uh, We can image God and we can understand God's nature in so many ways. And the very first thing our Bible says about God is that God is a creator. And what does Genesis tell us about the nature of God's creation? Is good. God sees it as good. God, in other words, does not make rubbish. God is not in that business. So in order to have a conversation about the mission of God, the first assumption we must hold is that God creates and that what God creates is very good indeed. We are made, the scripture says, in the image of this divine creator. And so we, too, are creators. We are creative I don't want you to forget that. Our culture has done a pretty good job of drawing a box over here and labeling it creative and in it throwing all the artists and all the poets and all the musicians and all the actors, all people I love, by the way, into that box and then made the rest of humanity, the the mechanics and the engineers and the nurses and the administrators and the stay-at-home dads feel like they don't belong, that they're not creative. Just because you don't know how to use oil paints or carry a tune, which is my problem, doesn't mean you're not creative. We are all creative because we're all made in the image of a divine creator. So stick a pin in that truth. I don't want you to forget it. That's assumption number one. God is a creator. God creates good, and we are made in that image. Assumption number two that we need to bring into a conversation about the mission of God is this. God is a repairer. God is a repairer or a redeemer, or a reconciler, or a restorer, if those words help your imagination at all. We cannot talk about the mission of God without recognizing this reparative part of God's nature, and we cannot talk about the mission of God without reckoning with the reality that we live in a world in desperate need of repair, that we live in bodies with minds and with hearts and with relationships in need of repair. We cannot talk about the mission of God if we ignore the ways in which creation, including ourselves, goes astray, moves away from God, falls off course of God's very good purpose and plan, and that we need to be rescued, that we need to be saved, that we need to be put back on that very good course. To say that another way, we cannot talk about the mission of God 
if we deny the reality of sin in our world and in our lives. I am a millennial. <clears throat> I was born in the mid-80s. And I notice that for a lot of my peers, myself and a lot of peers, people who are a little bit older as well, so Gen X and a little younger, Gen Z, faithful followers, faithful believers, one of the things I notice is that we don't like to really talk about our sin. We seem to have no problem talking about the world's sin. We will talk and tweet about that all day. <laughs> all the injustices out there. But when it comes to reckoning with our own, the effect of sin in our own lives, the ways in which we get swayed by culture, we get off course, we get disoriented, we don't really like to go there. Now, I realize I'm making a fairly broad, sweeping generalization. Okay, that might not be your story. That might not be a problem for you. I'm speaking maybe more personally, that this is something I notice in myself, something I experience, and it kind of perplexes me this kind of avoidance of wanting to talk about sin. I'm very curious about why we or why I, I do that. Because one of the things I notice is that when I do that, when I pretend like there aren't evil forces at play, our understanding of God, our understanding about the fullness of what God is up to, it can fall a little bit flat. It can fall a little bit flat. When we don't look at the shadow sides of the world, including our own shadow sides, even without meaning to, we shortchange the fullness of what God is up to or what God can do. We, we sort of rob God of, of that redemptive part of God's nature, an important part of who God is and what God wants for creation. The story of Scripture, as I understand it, is the great drama of a redemptive, reconciling, restorative, and repairing God. It's the story of a God who loves his creation so much that he goes to great lengths, great lengths to call it back, to get it back. We see this throughout the entire biblical account. The Old Testament into the New Testament story after story after story of God's people who have moved outside of God's plan and purpose for them, who, or who have been cast aside through the work of empire and evil, and a God who finds a way to get his people back, to save them, to deliver them, to set them free, to heal them. Most radically, I think, we see this redemptive nature of God through the coming of Christ. Scripture from my vantage point is the epic tale of God's ongoing quest to ransom and redeem his creation and to thereby give each and every generation a chance to experience and know this amazing grace. Amazing grace. Right? Scripture is the story of a God who creates good and then finds a way to restore the good when evil skews, fractures, and destroys it. So, in order to talk about God's mission to consider what God is up to in creation today, in our lives today, in this church today. We must remember that God is both a creator and a repairer. God makes life happen and then restores life when that life starts operating apart from God or apart from God's grace. That's just who God is. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. So, God's mission it's a long introduction. God's mission. What is it? I want to point to scripture to help answer that because it can, it can say it far better than I can. 
And as I said, the whole of Scripture, as I see it, speaks to us about God's redemptive nature. Okay, from the garden to revelation. This is a major thread in the story, but I want to hone in a little deeper, specifically to focus on the difference that Jesus makes in all of this, because we are Christians after all. So the New Testament has an important place in the story. And so I'm going to read this morning from Ephesians 2. I'm going to read all 22 verses, so hang with me. I'm going to be in the NRSV this morning. Uh, Some context, Paul is writing to the early church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter for most of Greek and Roman worship. And for more than two years, Paul had a, a fairly effective missionary presence there in that city. Lots of people were becoming followers. Lots of people were starting to know and follow Jesus. Acts 19 is where you might look to see details of that. Okay, this letter... Ephesians is a letter. His letter came years later and was written while he was imprisoned by the Romans, right? So he's instructing and he's praying for and he is encouraging this young, multi-ethnic, multicultural church slash new spiritual family uh, in Ephesus while he's in chains. So bear that in mind as I read. Okay, Ephesians 2. We've got the slide. All right. Here's what it says. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So then, remember that at one time you, Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father, so, when you are no longer, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself 
as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Paul packs a lot in. What is Paul saying? What do you hear in that? Do you hear a story of redemption? Of a people far from God being pulled close? Do you hear a story of reconciliation? Do you hear how distinct people groups, once estranged, are coming together into a harmonious whole, forming a new family? Do you hear anything about God's grace in there? God's mercy, God's love. What do you hear about Jesus that makes his coming good news, even today? Do you hear anything about what the church is, what the church is called to be? Let me share briefly what I hear as it relates to what I believe God has done through Christ and why this feels like really, 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 really good news for our lives today. I hear mention of a people who wandered away from God's governance, choosing instead, consciously or unconsciously, to be governed by the world and the powers within it. And with that, I hear the story of a people rescued from those powers of sin and death by a very merciful God. I hear a tale of amazing grace in that rescue, a gift that was given and is still given over and over and over, a gift that was not earned, that cannot be earned. I hear a truth that suggests that God is in fact a reconciling God, that the coming together of creation into a harmonious peaceful whole is part of God's desire for creation. I see a God who wants his people to be a living testimony for this grace and for this kindness from generation to generation to generation. I see a God who wants to be with his creation. The coming of Christ speaks to me about that most clearly. A God who loves his people, all people, unmeasurably and wants their love in return. I hear the echo of Genesis 1 a little bit in verse 10 there. John, if you could put that slide back up there. Verse 10, for we are what he had made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We were created in the divine image for good, to do good. This is part of God's plan. And I hear really, really good news as one who was not born as a citizen of Israel, part of God's original covenant family, Gentile by birth, any of you? I hear good news about what Christ's coming means for people like you and me. We're in. It wasn't always that way, but it's what God always wanted, and it wasn't anything we did. We're just in. And finally, I hear a call to the church, a pretty clear one. Verses 21 and 22 speak to me in this regard. In him, that is in Christ, in him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Do you know that your body, that this body is a dwelling place for God? 
What is God's mission in the world? To reconcile and restore all creation together back to God. To put the world back together as it was originally intended. To bring us together to himself. God wants his creation in his house, in his presence, with him. Jesus makes this possible for us. He has come to widen the table, to bring more sheep into the fold, as it were to be the atoning covenantal sacrifice so that our sin, that is our separation from God, no longer is counted against us. This is good news. This is good news. The church is intended to be the vehicle through which this mission is realized, through which this good news is is shared. Because the church, and I don't mean the structure, I mean the people, the, the assembly, the ecclesia, the body, The church is the holy temple in which the spirit of the living God now dwells. Remember, the story of scripture is a story of a God who is pleased to dwell with his people, who wants to dwell among his people. In the garden, in the tabernacle, in the Jerusalem temples, in the man Jesus of Nazareth, and now through the spirit in the church. That's you and me. It's us. It's a nice tune. What do you make of that? What do you make of that? How do you hear that message this morning? I'll tell you what, when I first began to understand that God's mission was about restoring and reconciling all things, about making all things new, including me, that faith in Jesus was about more than just following rules with the hopes of getting into heaven, that the good news of Jesus is about more than just my personal salvation, that the church is about being more than just a cozy community of like-minded individuals, that the body of Christ is the dwelling place for the living God and as such has a calling to take its attention outside of itself and push into the world with a message of hope and healing and hospitality. Man, when I started to understand that, it changed things for me. It changed things for me. It changed the way I thought about my work, how I use the gifts and the skills and the passions that I believe God has given me. It changed the way I saw other people in my community, people I like and, frankly, people I don't like very much. doesn't matter. Their image <laughs> doesn't matter. They're image bearers, and that ought to impact how I treat them. It changed the way I thought about my relationships, the purpose of my marriage. What is that for? The possibilities of my friendships, what are they for? Changed the way I saw my home and my neighborhood and my neighbors. Or maybe I should say it's changing the way that I see these things. And I slowly but surely, I think understanding the fullness of God's mission is also changing the way I see myself teaching me to honor who I am, who God made me to be, beloved daughter, totally imperfect, totally in need of healing, some in ways that are obvious to you all, some in less obvious ways, made new in Christ here on this green earth with a purpose. So coming to understand the mission of God and hearing our call to join it, it's not necessarily about taking on more responsibilities, adding more things to our already full lives. It's not about being the church that's run ragged with a bunch of programs. It's about recognizing the ways that we are already partnering with God in his reconciling and redemptive work in the world and maybe hearing new invitations to join him. So as you consider God's mission, what God is up to in the world, what God is up to in your life, 
Can you identify ways that you're already participating in this? Already participating in this redemptive, reconciling, restorative work. Ways that you're nurturing and protecting the image of God in those around you, even if they don't know or follow Jesus. Can you see ways that you're doing that? Can you see ways that you're reaching out across divides, trying to build bridges of peace and wholeness? Can you see ways that you're responding as Jesus might to people who hold different perspectives than you do, even right here in this church? Right? I think this is one of the ways the church in this time and place can actually be a prophetic witness. We are such a divided world right now. What would it look like to exist in that division with a little bit more grace and understanding? Can you see ways that you're speaking hope into the lives of people who are in desperate need of hope? Or ways that you're using your God-given gifts and skills and passions and talents to bring about more whole, vibrant, equitable communities right here in our city? Can you see ways that you're learning to be gentler, kinder to your own self, recognizing that indeed your body is the dwelling place, the place where God's spirit dwells, despite your imperfection and how long this journey towards Christ-likeness seems to take? I'll just say this, there are so many ways I see in so many of you, ways that you're already doing this, you're already participating in God's redemptive and reconciling mission, and it's so wonderful to see. I think it's actually why we've stuck around this community for the past nine years, one of the main reasons. You, this church gets that, and I so appreciate that about all of you. It gives me a lot of hope. It helps me to trust that indeed God is alive and moving as he said he would be through the body of Christ. That helps me. That helps my faith. Maybe you're not clear. Maybe you're in one of those seasons of just disorientation or you're feeling a little purposelessness. We've all been there. Maybe you're not sure how you're being called to join God's mission. That's okay. That's okay. Remember the story and remember your story. Give it time. There's a... Um, an Irish poet that I like, Padraig Otuma, he says, the answer is in the story and the story isn't finished. Sometimes we have to examine our own stories, our own paths. We have to exegete our own lives, so to speak, to find out where God might be leading us next. And I know for me, when I've had my own seasons of disorientation or just not quite sure, what am I doing? Of which there have been many. <laughs> I have found it most helpful to invite other people to share what they think God is up to in my life because sometimes it's very difficult to see ourselves as God sees us and we need friends and we need helpers to help us see the clues and to dust for God's fingerprints as it were in order to discern where God might be leading us next. We need help and thank God for the body of believers to help us to do that. As a church community, we have a specific mission. We have a reason for being apart from just being a worshiping community. It's to share the love of Christ with that campus and to form lifelong disciples. That's, that's our mission statement. It's on the website. That's what this church has been about for the past 35 years, and I still tend to think that is the calling of this particular body. Now, there's 5,000 ways to share the love of Christ with the university and to form disciples. So many ways we can, we can join in and do that. And so as we move into a new year, I might ask you to just consider, are the ways you're sensing an invitation to join with that particular mission? I tend to believe that God plants us places with a purpose. He calls us to communities and equips us with gifts that those communities need for a specific time. So if you're here, I tend to believe it's because God wants you here. 
So how are you being called to participate in the mission of UCC in this body today? By way of moving towards close and towards communion, I want to just leave you with this. Down in the atrium downstairs where our 46 children hang out, uh, on the west wall, there's a timeline. Some of you have maybe seen this. It's the story of creation and redemption. And the children, as they take, uh, take in that narrative, they're invited to consider their part in the story. The activity is centered around a blank page, as in you get to help create with God a page in this wondrous, epic narrative. And so that's what our kids are learning, that they too have a part to play in God's story. So on the back wall this morning, on our back wall, you're going to see several blank pages. And uh, they're prompting you to consider that same question. And so as, you, as we wrap up worship, I invite you to take one of those or a couple of those, take them home with you, and uh, consider, reflect, consider the ways that you see yourself already participating in God's redemptive mission in the world. How would you articulate it? How would you draw it? Um, there's no wrong answer. Just give it a go, and then let's bring these back over the next couple of weeks, and let's see what God is up to in and across our community. I said at the top of the sermon that God is a creator and that as image bearers, we too are creative, all of us. We have a creative part to play in this unfolding story of redemption. And I think the adventure of faith, at least the way I see it, is spending our lives discovering what that is. How are we being invited to join? And so we need to pay attention and we need to seek and we need to wonder with God and with one another to discover what that is as we move along. So let's do that, yes? Uh, so part of our gathering now around this table is remembering that we are invited into this story. This is Jesus' table. Jesus sets it for all people, inviting all to come to know God through him. Through faith in Christ, we are made right before God. Christ gave his life so that we could be joined back to God. This is part of what we remember when we celebrate the Lord's Supper each week. So in just a few moments, I think some music is going to play. And we invite you to come forward at your own pace, a few at a time. Just come on forward. Take the bread, which represents the body of Christ. Take the cup, which represents the blood of Christ, back to your seat. And then we will take communion together this morning. If you'd prefer to just use this as a time to quietly reflect in your seat, that's okay as well. Before we do that, do we have a slide? We do. Um, before we do that, we, we want to orient our hearts in a confessing posture. So if you're able and willing, would you stand with me and speak these words of 